0: Good morning. Welcome
1: to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, May 25th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're watching today. Some schools won't offer remote learning come fall. Plus, the start of the spaceflight revolution. But first, today's one big thing. Remembering their names.
2: Say his name!
3: George
1: Floyd. Today marks one year since George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis. His death galvanized a nation and reminded us of the so many other names of people killed by police. Many of those families left behind are struggling to recover years and decades later. Axios' race and justice reporter, Russell Contreras, sat down with several families who are still grieving. And he's here with us now to tell us about it. Hi, Russ.
4: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Russ, these stories are all just heartbreaking. Talking to parents about losing their children, and then with these circumstances on top of it, and it doesn't matter how long it's been.
4: No, it doesn't, Nyla. The deal with police shootings is that there's always going to be victims. They become household names in that market, sometimes nationally. But after the smoke clears, the names are forgotten. But for these families, the pain never goes away.
2: You learn how to deal with it and how to go on. And if it wasn't for the support that I had from my wife and family, shoot, I'd I'd be be sneaking... You'd be really sad. I'd be sneaking (laughs) shots of whiskey down in the basement to try and make the pain go away.
4: That was Steven Torres with his wife Renata. Their son Christopher Torres was shot and killed by cops in their yard. Christopher was somebody who had been struggling with schizophrenia This was a case that happened 10 years ago in April, and it was one of the cases that sparked a federal investigation into Albuquerque police. And what they said, interesting, there's no national organization that tries to give support to the families of those shot by police. There are groups like mothers against drunk driving. There are groups for victims of crime, but there's no group for families of those who've been shot by cops. And unfortunately, Nyla, those numbers are growing.
1: The Torres family was one family that you spoke with for the story. Russ, is there a common thread of these stories?
4: Yeah, the common thread is simple. The, the other family I talked to, I talked to Jewel Hall. She was an activist in Albuquerque speaking out about police shootings. But at the same time, while she's pressuring the Justice Department to come into Albuquerque, her son, Milton Hall, was shot 13 times in Saginaw, Michigan and killed. He's somebody else that was struggling with mental health issues. The pattern all these were the same. There's a shooting. Sometimes it's caught on video. There's an outcry. They shout their name. They paint murals. They demand reforms. But then the names disappear and these cases go into obscurity. When I talk to Jill Hall, she says, when I see George Floyd family go on and speak out against their situations or their excessive force cases all this pain comes back. And in fact, Jewel Hall says, I have the video of my son getting killed. It's on my computer, but to this day, I have not seen it and I don't think I ever can.
1: What do the parents tell you that they want in terms of creating change, these parents who've become activists? They want their
4: sons, daughters, their death not to go in vain. They want to use their pain for change. And most of the time, Nala, it happens on a local level. But now there are so many of these families, they're starting to talk amongst themselves and say, maybe we need something at a federal level. Right now, there are proposals in the U.S. Senate that Tim Scott, the Republican from South Carolina, is working on. He's trying to work with Democrats. It looks like they're at an impasse. But these families believe if they can organize and put more pressure on federal authorities to come up with some federal standards to change the way we police our cities, they can make a difference. But it's really hard, it's very difficult for them to get over that pain, to try to mobilize it because there's no national group. And a lot of times these people are forgotten when they speak out. Often elected officials have to say, what was your case again?
1: Russell Contreras is Axios' race and justice reporter. Thanks for bringing us these stories, Russ. You're welcome. We'll be back in 15 seconds with a big decision out of the nation's largest school system.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Budu. New York City is the latest and largest school district to announce that when school reopens this fall, it will be entirely in-person. That's with no remote learning option. But other cities and states are taking different approaches. Axios' future correspondent Brian Walsh is here. Hi, Brian. Hi. What's behind this decision in New York City?
2: I think there's a realization that it's really hard to try to do in-person as much as possible, but also offer pretty wide-scale Remote And what you ended up having was even kids going back to school often were taking Zoom classes in the classroom because you need different teachers at different times. A lot of teachers are given COVID exemptions to work from home. So making it very clear, okay, we're not going to do a remote learning curriculum, an option for the 1 million uh, public school students in New York City, sends a very strong signal going forward, not just for schools, actually, but for all the parents who have to think about their work schedules knowing that their kids could li- at least be able to go back to school in person five days a week.
1: How are parents reacting?
2: There's a mix. It's much like what we've seen throughout the entire pandemic. There are parents who just feel like their kids were getting no education remotely, who wanted them back as soon as possible. There are a lot of parents who are concerned about, still, the health issues for, you know, whether their kids could be vulnerable. Of course, children uh, under the age of uh, 12 will not be able to be vaccinated, at least until the fall, probably, depending on when authorization happens. There's a lot of worry that suddenly this option has been taken away from them. I think you're going to see that uh, effect going in other cities if mayors or governors decide to go with the same direction where, OK, no, we're just taking remote off the table.
1: Axios is Brian Walsh. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. The eyes of the world have been turning skyward a lot lately. Are we at a turning point for spaceflight and public interest in it? That's the one question I asked Axios' space reporter Miriam Kramer about this moment. Hi, Nyla. Yes,
3: it is. You have SpaceX, a private company, launching NASA astronauts with hopes to launch average everyday people in the future. You have Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic that are both sort of on the verge of flying their passengers to space. You have Mars missions launched by countries that have never done it before, like China and the United Arab Emirates. You have NASA sending things to Mars. I mean, these are creating our sort of space revolution, I think, in a lot of ways. I have talked to experts who have said that they've never seen so much interest in space before. And I think it's, wild that we have two TV shows that are in various levels of production, Space Hero and Who Wants to Be an Astronaut, that actually want to send normal people to space and to the International Space Station. So I I think that we're at the start of what could be a crucial and in many ways revolutionary moment for spaceflight and the public's understanding of it.
1: We started the show marking that a year ago today, George Floyd was killed at the hands of Minneapolis police and talking about the loved ones that are left behind. That's why we wanted to end today with this one last headline. President Biden has invited the Floyd family to the White House for a private meeting today. George Floyd's seven-year-old daughter, Gianna, her mother, his sister, brothers, and nephew are among the family members who will attend. That's it for us today. If you want to share your thoughts on how we're doing, you can email us at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me directly on Twitter. My handle is NylaBudu. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.